0: Friday was Veterans Day and Veterans Day reminds us that freedom comes with a price and that the freedoms that we enjoy every day here in this wonderful country that we live in were preserved for us by men and women who were willing to step forward, put on the uniform of a soldier, a sailor, a marine, an airman, a Coast Guardman and serve their country with pride, with sacrifice, and with dedication. This morning, we would like to recognize our veterans who are present. If you ever served in the armed forces of the United States or are serving today, would you please stand and be recognized? Thank you. Be seated. Thank you for your service to our country, and thank you for those who are serving for your current service to our country. Right now, I'm going to invite us to, to bow our heads and to offer a word of prayer of thanksgiving for those who have served and for protection for those who are serving today. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we live in such a great country, and we're so blessed to live here. Father, may we never forget the men and the women who have stepped forward to preserve the freedoms that we enjoy. Those who have served in our armed forces, the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, the Coast Guard. Thank you for their service. And Father, may they always feel a spirit of our gratitude for the service they've rendered. We pray especially this morning for those who are serving today, and particularly those who are serving in harm's way today. I pray that you will Spread your blanket of protection over them. And God, I pray that you will be with our president and our our country's leader and help them to find a way to bring peace and to bring our men and women back home. I pray for the families of those who are deployed, that you will protect them while their loved one is gone, and that you will fill their hearts with peace and with pride for the service that their loved one is rendering to our country. And God, I pray that their time of separation will pass quickly and that their homecoming will be memorable and will be powerful. Lord, thank you for our country. Thank you for our vets. Thank you for those who serve. And God, may we all do our part to keep America great and to keep America one nation under God. For it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Again, let's thank all our vets one more time. This morning, we're going to conclude a series that we began seven weeks ago. If you're a guest, you're coming at the very tail end of the series that we've called Collide. And what the series is about is the collision that occurs daily in the lives of believers who want to embrace a biblical worldview of life, who believe that God is God and that His Word is His Word, and that we are compelled and obligated to serve Him, and to embrace his moral guidelines for our lives. Opposed to the contemporary culture that says God's a myth, and that his word's a lie, and that there is no absolute truth, there is no absolute standard for righteous living, therefore live your life however you want to live your life, and no one has a right to question your values or your code of life. Now, those two perspectives cannot possibly live in harmony with each other. And we've noted how they've collided in our marriages, how they've collided in the lives of those who are single, how those values have collided in our families. And today we're going to talk about how it even collides in the area of our entertainment. Today's message is for everybody. Doesn't matter what gender you are, doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter whether you're single or married, because entertainment is a large part of our daily existence. And believe me, as we're going to discover today, culture collides in that area of our life just like it does every other area. All of a sudden I froze here, guys. A couple of weeks ago, we introduced you to the pickle principle. And this is an analogy that was devised by a Christian counselor by the name of Wayne Ward. He reminded us how pickles are made. He says that in order to make pickles, we put cucumbers in a brine solution of vinegar, spices, and water. After a cucumber soaks in the brine long enough, it is changed into a pickle. That's how it happens. He says in the same way, most of us are like pickles. He says, we sit in the brine of a sex-saturated culture, absorbing its values and beliefs, and it changes the way we think. He reminds us that even most Christians are pickled today, believing and acting exactly like everyone else who has been sitting in the brine of a culture hostile to God and His Word. And that is so descriptive of our experience today. It's so descriptive of so many people who are believers. We're all pickled sitting in this brine. Now today, we're going to ask the question, what is the brine that we are soaking in? What constitutes that brine? For a pickle, it's vinegar, it's water, it's assortment of spices that change that cucumber over time into a pickle. What's the brine that we sit in, that are saturated in, that change the way we think about culture? Well, we've looked at a couple. One is higher education. You can mark it down. That when it comes to embracing a postmodern view of life, the more private and the more prestigious a university system is, you can almost mark it down in every case that the more favorable they're going to be to the postmodern culture and the less favorable they're going to be to people who are trying to embrace a biblical worldview. There's also all kinds of special interest groups and lobbyists out there who are also <clears throat> working to cause us, in many cases, to intimidate us into accepting postmodernism culture and believing that God's a myth and that his word is not relevant for today. And they are powerful political resources for postmodernism that are driving this message of postmodernism ahead. Then we also have the liberal news outlets. Who controls the airwaves today? It's those who are embracing postmodernism. It's those who want us to accept that and reject the biblical worldview. You get on a talk show, and they always have a celebrity, or they always have somebody that's really impressive representing the postmodern view. And then when you get to the biblical worldview, who do they have on? They have somebody that that is inarticulate and and doesn't look good and, and that they can make fun of. All these areas impact the degree of pickledness we are experiencing today. But I want to share in closing this series today two areas that I think have much more influence in our lives than these that we've mentioned. Because these impact us every single day. The first one is the entertainment media. The entertainment media. Television, movies, uh, the the video games, music, All this has a tremendous influence in us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 through 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, he says, how great is that darkness? Here's what Jesus is saying. Who we become Is largely determined by what we allow into our eye gate, what we allow into our minds, what we embrace in our souls and in our spirits. He's saying we have to be really careful. We have to be very discerning of what influences we allow into our lives because it will determine the level of brightness of that worldview, of that biblical light in us. And so many, we've seen it in so many believers. How they were at one time very active, staunch believers and they've gotten pickled by culture and pretty soon they are so far away from the light of Christ that you don't even recognize that they're a believer any longer. That's what Jesus is warning us about. And that's where the entertainment part of our life comes in. Because it's a huge part of our life. Let's take television for example. The number of hours per day in the average American home that television is on is 6 hours and 47 minutes. That's just the average. Now, I know some of you are thinking, huh, man, I have that by the morning. Because we get up, some of us, and turn the TV on, and it's on all day long. The percentage of Americans that regularly watch TV while eating dinner is 66%. That means no longer are we gathering as a family around the dinner table and and talking about the events of the day or talking about family values or talking about biblical values. Instead, we're microwaving something, running into the living room, and we're watching television. Look at this. Number of minutes per week that the average child watches TV, 1,680 minutes a week. That's the equivalent of 28 hours. The percentage of daycare centers that use TV during a typical day is 70%. So even if you're trying to minimize the time that your children are watching TV at home and you have them in daycare, what you may not understand is that 70% of the daycare centers are using television as a babysitting service. It's easy to sit a kid in front of a TV and let the TV entertain them, right? Look at this statistic. Percentage of four to six-year-olds who when asked to choose between watching TV and spending time with their fathers preferred TV, 54%. Going to four or six years old say, hey, would you like to spend some time with daddy or would you rather watch TV? Over half of them said, I'd rather watch TV than spend time with my father. Tell me that's not broken. According to the A.C. Nielsen Company, the average American watches more than four hours of TV every day. That's 28 hours a week. Or listen to this. Two hours are two months of non-stop TV watching per year. That means if you just watch TV four hours a day over the period of a year, it's like spending two of the 12 months watching TV non-stop. In a 65 year life, that person will have spent nine Years of his or her life just watching TV. What does that say? It says we're watching a whole lot of TV. TV is a critical part of what's coming in to our eye gate. But maybe more important than knowing how much TV we're watching is understanding what we are watching on TV. What are we allowing into this eye gate? Well, today, television shows are filled with violence. Shows like Revenge and American Horror Story and Vampire Diaries. Revenge, a a new and popular show on ABC that features a young girl who was growing up in the Hamptons and and something happened and her father was convicted of of terrorism uh, on trumped-up charges and it destroyed their family. Her father died in prison. The whole series is about her coming back and extracting revenge on every person that had anything to do with the demise of her family. Then we get into the underworld, the world of spiritism and vampires and, and all that kind of thing in American Horror Story and, and, and Vampire Diaries. But, but violence fills the airways. In fact, the Parent Television Council reported that violence during the 8 o'clock hour has increased by 45% during the 9 o'clock hour by 92%. And during the 10 o'clock hour, it has increased by 167% since 1998. Then they point out special programs like Law & Order Special Victims Unit, which is devoted exclusively to sex crimes. And so audiences get the double dose, the double whammy of both violence and sex, as rapists and sexual predators and fetishes are regular part of those plots. Think of what it's doing to our kids. The same report says, Violent television is especially harmful to young children. Children younger than eight cannot uniformly discriminate between real life and fantasy or entertainment. They quickly learn that violence is an acceptable solution to resolving even complex problems, particularly if the aggressor is the hero, as is in many shows. Yet despite these facts, by the time a child reaches 8 years old, he or she will have been exposed to over 20,000 acts of violence through their TV watching. And we wonder in our culture today why children are acting out so violently against each other. We're also getting a heavy dosage of sexual content. Shows like Glee and Pan Am and Desperate Housewives all have this sexual cultural permissiveness and glamour and promoting the idea of sexuality. According to the Henry T. Kaiser Foundation, among the top 20 most watched shows by teens, 70% include sexual content and nearly half, 45%, include sexual behavior. The same report says that during primetime hours, sex is even more common with nearly 8 in 10 or 77% of shows, including sexual contact, averaging 5.9 sexual scenes per hour. That's, I mean, every commercial break comes back with a sexual scene. It's rampant and we are allowing these messages into our eye gate. But possibly, the most insidious culture communicating and persuading element of television is the sitcom. See, long ago, those who pursue social change recognize that one of the most powerful ways to get people to accept new values, to accept alternative lifestyles, is to get you laughing at it. We, we we take values that that we wouldn't embrace as Christians. We take alternative lifestyles that we certainly know God has spoken clearly against. And we begin to associate with these funny characters in these sitcoms. And, and we begin to like them. And as we begin to create a pseudo-relationship with them, and we're tuning into them every week because we got to see what the next thing is as they go through the antics of everyday life like you and me. What we're doing is we begin to be desensitized to those values and we begin to embrace those values. What does Jesus say Matthew 6.22? The eye is the lamp of the body. What we allow into our minds will largely determine how bright the light of Christ is in our life and in our testimony. Errol Hulse who is a South African pastor, wrote an article for Reformation Today. In that article, he says, TV has become a radical monopoly. Why? Because it's the liberal side of the philosophical perspective that is controlling the airwaves. They control what you see. They control what we hear. He says, capable of manipulating opinion, reinforcing pluralism, and revamping reality in a short time. Appearance replaces reality. Charisma replaces content, and the result, pragmatism, replaces integrity. The entertainment industry spreads postmodern philosophy into every home through TV. TV networks are under the dominion of those who promote postmodern culture, and in some instances are massively under the heavy influence of the gay lobby. And we have certainly seen that if you've even had casual observation of television over the last couple decades how that particular lifestyle has been included in more and more and more and more and more. And you can hardly find a show, and especially a sitcom, where that isn't part. That isn't part of the plot line. And where those characters aren't portrayed as just the most loving, lovable people possible. And and all that desensitizes to what God has spoken against those kind of lifestyles. Jerry Solomon, one of the authors for Probe Ministries, Reminds us this, all entertainment is making a statement. Everything we read, hear, or watch espouses a worldview or philosophy of life. Every scriptwriter infuses his or her worldview into that script. Every director manipulates the actors and the lighting and the musical background and the editing to promote, to promote subliminal cultural messages. In other words, we are never, ever exposed to a culturally neutral experience. See, and we, we, we get so caught up in what we watch and the characters that we embrace that we forget to be discerning. And we forget that, that there is a cultural strategy to everything going on. Sometimes it's very overt, sometimes it's very intentional, other times it's very casual, but it's there. And we need to be discerning as to what we are taking on board while we are enjoying that medium of entertainment. The other, of course, is the Internet. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now you might say, well, Pete, that is really an odd verse to use if you're talking about the Internet. Why would you use a verse about relationship and start talking about the internet? Well, let me show you why. 1998, Google was released. And Google became the primary portal to the information highway. Again, let me emphasize the information highway. If you wanted a recipe on something, you could Google what you wanted and you'd get a thousand recipes. If you needed directions to some place, you could go to Google Maps and and type the directions in and you'd get turn-by-turn directions. If you were working on some kind of project or you wanted to research something, you just Googled that project in there and you had all kinds of research. It was the gateway to the information highway. You could check stocks. You could check finances. You could check anything. But then over time... Interest in the information highway began to wane and a bridge was erected from the information highway to the relational highway. And soon a very powerful organization came online called MySpace.com and their moniker was a place for what? Friends. In 2006, MySpace took over from Google the daily hits at the site. Now MySpace only lasted a short time because an even more powerful and attractive resource came into the net. And that is what? Facebook. Facebook. So you know what I'm talking about. Facebook has eclipsed both MySpace and Google. It's left them in the dust in the popularity and the hits. Ben Parr from Mashable Social Media says this, Social networking has doubled since 2007, and it's all thanks to Facebook, Twitter, and an array of other social companies reaching record traffic highs. Comscore's latest numbers are out, and they paint a familiar story. Social networking is on the rise. We all know that, but here's what he says. It's the rate of growth that's blown everybody away, though. It's how fast Everyone is catching on to this relational highway now, as opposed to an informational highway. He goes on to say, according to the web analysis, the average online user in the U.S. now spends nearly 23% of his or her time on social networking sites such as Facebook, LinkedIn, Timber, and Twitter. The biggest reason for the increase in social networking is Facebook, and it's 8 100 million plus users how powerful is facebook check this out at over 53 billion total minutes during may 2011 just one month 53 billion minutes of use americans spend more time on facebook than they do any other website or web address more than 800 million users and at any given day on any given day Over 50% of those users log on. So it's not just, yeah, it was a thing and I, I made a Facebook page. No. Every day, half, 400 million plus of people actually log on to their Facebook page. The average user of Facebook spends 17 hours, 33 minutes on Facebook every month. That's just the average user. Now, I realize some of you, and you know what? We're thinking, yeah, these kids and this Facebook stuff. No, do you know who one of the biggest users of Facebook is? Senior adults. (laughs) All of us, I've got this Facebook thing going. The average person spends, spends 17 hours and 33 minutes a month. Some turn it on in the morning, they're never off it all day long. The content shared on Facebook every month exceeds 30 billion exchanges. Over 2 billion videos are watched on Facebook every month, and the average user has 130 Facebook friends. Now, I said that last night in our our Saturday night ultra-contemporary service where most of our young people come, and they all laughed at that. They chuckled because that's for rookies, 130. (laughs) That's not even on the scope, they're thinking. Then you've got Twitter. You realize there are 119 million tweets on Twitter every single day. Then another popular venue is what? YouTube. The average time spent on YouTube is 5 hours 50 minutes per month. 2 billion videos watched every day. And the number of videos watched by the average user per month is 186 videos every month. Cyber Psychology and Behavior magazine in their July issue said this. Fame is the number one value emphasized by television shows. A dramatic change over the past 10 years, UCLA psychologists report in a new study. From 1997 to 2007, benevolence, being kind and helping others, fell from 2nd to 13th place, and tradition dropped from 4th to 15th place. The biggest change occurred from 1997 to 2007 when YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter exploded in popularity. The study concludes, their growth parallels the rise in narcissism. Narcissism is self-indulgence. It's when people in their personality are only concerned about themselves, or more concerned, more obsessed with themselves and their own promotion than others'. And it says this growth parallels the rise in narcissism and the drop in empathy, caring about others, among college students in the U.S., as other research has shown. We don't think this is a coincidence, cyber psychology and behavior says. Changes we have seen in narcissism and empathy are being reflected on TV. In the past, children had their home, community, and the school. Now they have thousands of friends who look at their photos and their posts and comment on them. The growth of social media gives children access to an audience beyond the school grounds. If you have 400 or more Facebook friends, you've arrived. You're considered on stage. And it is routine for high school and middle school students and college students and young adults to have far more than 400 Facebook friends. And... Because of the medium of texting, we can now communicate with all those hundreds of friends 24-7 wherever we're at. According to the Nielsen Wire Service, over half of high school and grade school students in Europe and the U.S. now use text messages as their primary source of communication between friends. You say, if it seems like teenagers are always texting... It's because the average teens text three thousand three hundred thirty-nine texts a month. That's more than six texts for every hour they're awake. Now, teens lead the way. Those who are thirteen to seventeen, especially females, who send and receive an average of five thousand fifty texts every month. Teen males outpace other teens or other males, and they. Text an average of 2,539 texts, and young adults, 18 to 24, come in a distance second with 1,630 texts per month. Now understand, these figures I really believe are low. These are average figures. I have routinely had parents come to me and tell me that their teen will text 12,000 texts a month. The most I ever heard was somebody came, and this was back before they had unlimited texting, you paid for it all, 19,000 texts in one month. Talk about a phone bill, they were going crazy. Young people are so familiar with texting, and it's such a primary source of their communication system that they can text with their phone in their pocket. I'm serious. In fact, that's why so many schools will not allow them to have their cell phones on during class because during tests they're texting answers to each other. I have personally witnessed a group of teens at a table in a restaurant and rather than talking to each other at the table, they're texting each other. I was at a friend's house visiting and one of their young adult, 20-some's, Son came in the room, having been online chatting with his girlfriend for several hours, came in and went, ah, I forgot to tell, I'll use the name Judy, something. Got on the phone, called Judy, said, Judy, go back online. Click. (laughs) Texting is the oxygen young people are breathing today. It really is. It is the primary source. I have learned with the young folks, even on our staff, don't send email, don't leave a voicemail. If you don't text, you aren't hearing back. Now, what's the point of all this? Here's the point I'm trying to make. Every day through Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and texting, we are saying, come on into my life. Come on into my mind. Come on into my relationships. Hundreds and hundreds of and hundreds of people. Now that verse makes sense, doesn't it? Because bad company corrupts good character. And of those hundreds of people that we have on, because we got to build our Facebook account up, because, boy, if we're just one of those rookies with 130 friends, we're like nobody. we got to have 400, 500, 600, 1,000 friends on Facebook before we are really somebody, before we're really on stage. And as we communicate on Facebook, as we communicate through these texts, what's happening? We are absorbing, we're absorbing the value system of all those people in some way to some extent. We're trying to embrace a biblical worldview. And yet, the bulk of what's going into our eye and ear gate is anti-biblical. Just consider prayer. A recent Barna poll revealed that 82% of adults and 89% of teens pray each week. The same poll revealed that only 37% report that they pray once a day. The same poll also revealed that the average prayer that is offered lasts under five minutes. Now, I'm no mathematician, but let me do some math here. Let's see, prayer, maybe once a week, and even those every day, prayers under five minutes, but average 28 hours of television. 23% of online time, Facebook. Average of 4,050 texts a month. What's getting in here? What's dominating the eye gate? Take Bible study. 60% of adults agree that the Bible is totally accurate in all of its teaching. 46 agree strongly, 16% agree somewhat. But among Bible readers, Barna polls says, the average amount of time spent reading the Bible during the entire week is 52 minutes. For those who are really doing it, those who are reading the Bible every week, the average time in the Bible is 52 minutes. Now, wait a minute. Average 28 hours on TV. 23% of time online Facebook. 4,050 texts. What am I allowing to dominate my thinking? And why are we as the body of Christ surprised that our society and increasingly our 20-somethings are being drawn further and further and further and further away from a biblical worldview? Well, let me conclude today by giving you three things that you can do to help from getting pickled by culture. Three things. Number one, be careful who you let in. Be careful who you allow to have influence in your life. Be careful what lyrics to what songs you memorize and walk around singing and humming. Be careful what television shows become your favorite television shows. The Bible says in Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. Be discerning. First Corinthians 6.12 says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. See the the believers at the church at Corinth were, were struggling with the same thing we're struggling with today, a culture that was taking over their faith. And Paul, writing to rebuke them about that, their response was saying, Well, we're, we're under Christ, our sins are forgiven, everything's for, permissible for me. Paul says, Yes, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Yes, everything's permissible, but are you letting other things master you? Master your time, master your mind, master your value system. See, you saying, Pastor Pete, you saying I shouldn't watch TV? I'm not saying that at all. You saying I shouldn't have a Facebook page? I'm not saying that. You mean I shouldn't Twitter, t- tweet? As long as your heart's content. You mean? You mean? All I'm saying is, is that we need to be discerning of what we're watching who we're making friends with, and who we're allowing to influence us. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. That's who we are. We're not letting culture control us. We will demolish the strongholds of culture in our lives so that people who are still without faith in Christ have some light that will illuminate their path to the cross of Jesus Christ. If we're just like them, watching just what they watch, doing exactly what they do, then what difference is there in this world? Number two, listen honestly to the Holy Spirit. The key word in that point is honestly. Listen honestly to the Holy Spirit. Those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit lives inside us. The Bible says of the Holy Spirit in John sixteen eight. Jesus says, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, and we know that happened after Jesus ascended into heaven, said one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of guilt. It's supposed to tell us what is right and what is wrong. In Second Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here's how the Holy Spirit operates. When we are getting involved in things that are pulling away, us away from God and away from a biblical perspective of life, He convicts us of that. On the other hand, when we are operating and behaving and making choices in such a way that are in conformity with God's plan for our life, He gives us freedom. I was listening last week on the radio while I was going uh, driving down the street and a pastor was on giving his testimony. I don't recall the pastor's name. <clears throat> but anyhow, he was saying that when he got to his teen years, his mother employed some tremendous wisdom. Got to be a teenager, and one day he came to her and said, Hey, uh, Mom, uh, a bunch of us want to go down to the movie theater and we, we want to go, go see a movie. Is, is it okay if I go? His mom said, Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go in your room, and I want you to pray to the Lord and ask the Lord if it's okay for you to go see the movie. So he said, man, this is cool. So he went, and he he prayed and went back to his mom and said, hey, God said it's okay if I go to the movie. She said, well, it's okay with me. You go right ahead. Well, a couple weeks later, after a football game, a bunch of kids were going to get together at a house and have a party. And so he went to his mom and said, hey, you know, we're we're all going to go over to the Smith's house. We're going to have a party. And after the football game, their mom and dad's going to be there. It's cool. Don't worry. Is it okay if I go? His mom said, well, why don't you go in your bedroom and pray to the Lord and ask the Lord if it's okay for you to go. So he goes in, prays, and comes back out and says, hey, mom, God said it's okay for me to go to the party. And she said, well, okay, well, you go ahead to the party. A little time later, some of the friends got together. They said, hey, listen, have we got a deal cooked up? We are going to tell our parents that we're all going to so-and-so's house. But we're not really going there. We're not going to really spend the night there. We're going to get on a train. We're going to go over to the next city. And we've got somebody lined up to give us some booze. And someone lined up to give us some porno flicks. And we're just going to have a party, man. And we want you to come with us. So he goes home. And he says to his mom, he says, Mom, a bunch of us are going to stay overnight at so-and-so's house. Is it okay if I go? And she says, well, you go ask the Lord. So he said, he went into his room, he got his knees, he says, God, a bunch of friends and I, we're, 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 God, we're, so he knew what he was going to do. And where the spirit of the Lord is, one of two things are going to happen. If we're honest, he's going to convict us if we're about to go the wrong way, or he's going to give us freedom if we're embracing the Lord. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so when we're making choices, we need to honestly ask the Holy Spirit before we engage. While we are engaged and after we have engaged. See, I, I, I've lived this. There have been times I've been contemplating something and and, and something maybe that on the surface seemed innocent and the Holy Spirit said, don't do that, don't go there. And later on, I found out a reason why. Or sometimes, maybe I'm into a TV program or Stella and I have sat down and we've watched a movie and the Holy Spirit has pricked our hearts because of what we're starting to hear and see on that screen and and we'll get up and we'll leave. Sometimes after an event that I've kind of hung around through and and endured through and, and I'll have to be honest, the vast majority of the time, the Holy Spirit has already talked to me about it, but I went ahead and I, and I stayed or did whatever. And the Holy Spirit convicted me after. See, if we don't want to be pickled by culture, we've got to listen to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will lead us in the right direction. Finally, be careful where you take others. You know, let's face it. Sometimes we get to a point of rebelliousness as believers. And the Holy Spirit, he's talking to us. He's telling us everything. And we still want to let that influence in. We just decide that's what we want to do. Well, sometimes it's helpful to look beyond ourselves in those situations and consider what we're exposing someone else to. See, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.32, do not cause anyone to stumble. In 1 John 2.10 it says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. In other words, if we really love our friends, if we really love our family members, then we're going to lead them to the light of Christ. We're going to lead them to activities that magnify the Lord and activities that lift up righteousness. If we really love them, We won't have a part of leading them into the darkness. We won't initiate that kind of activity, nor will we join in that kind of activity when someone else initiates it. Because the most unloving thing we can do is to walk into the darkness with them. God has called us to a higher standard. We are the children of light. The children sang about it this morning. And if there is no light, how great is that darkness? It's decision time. How pickled am I? How pickled are you? How pickled are our marriages? How pickled is your single life for those of you who are single? How pickled are the decisions you make? How pickled are the relationships you've formed? How pickled are the choices that you live with and the values you embrace? How pickled are our families? How pickled is our entertainment? For honest, every one of us will find some place in our life that we're pickled. And that's okay. What's not okay is to stay there. And that's what this series has been about. This series has been about identifying how pickled we are, where we're pickled, and calling us back to a higher standard of living life, calling us back to a biblical worldview let's bow our heads. Father, I pray for every man and woman here today. God, I pray that we might return to the high road, that we might take honest inventory of our lives, and that in the areas of our lives, we recognize we're pickled, that Father, will return to you, and in that area of our life, we'll become light and not darkness. Because God, if all of us go the way of culture and all of us become pickled by the culture that is hostile to you and your world, then there's no more light in this time. There's no more light in our country. There's no more hope for those who are outside of Christ. God, raise us up. Make this church a powerful lighthouse in South Florida filled with believers who love you and who will do what you have asked us to do even when we don't want to. God, we give ourselves back to you this day. Make this day be a new day. May today be a day of change. In the Lord Jesus' name we pray, amen.